Isaiah chapter number 55, uh, chapter 55, we're in our series, You Can't Handle This, and uh, I'm looking forward to preaching this, I think will be the last message in this series, and I've been enjoying the series much in my own life, and uh, hopefully you too as well. But today I want to preach a message I trust will be an encouragement. There are some things that money can't buy. There are some things that money can't buy, and no, for everything else, there's MasterCard. That's not what I'm going to talk about today. But how many recognize, just right off the, right off the bat here, you reckon, there's just things money can't buy. Of course, we understand that. And in this passage of Scripture, Isaiah gives us some eternal truths, I think, that will help us as we consider that. There's just some things that we need from the Lord that money cannot buy. And so if you look with me at Isaiah chapter 55, we're going to end up reading most of the chapter today, but we're going to start with the first three verses. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye to buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Therefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread. And your labor for that which, what? Satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, listen up, and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. This series, you can't handle this. Uh, we've talked a lot about different things that we go through in life that are hard to handle. And how many of you would admit today that there are some things that life just kind of delivers to your doorstep that are difficult to deal with? Amen. And I think if we're all honest today, and most of us here, we're, we're not, you know, many of you, I've seen you and I've watched you walk through the fires and tr troubles of life. And, and I understand that everybody deals with things differently, but we all have gone through things that we just look at God and say, God, I can't handle this. If we're not careful, we'll end up relying too much on ourselves in life, on our own provision, our own success, our own wealth, our bank account, our savings account, our backup plans. And today I just want to encourage us with this thought. There's just several things that money, success, those kinds of things, they just can't do. They just can't buy. Straight from this passage of Scripture, let's pray today. Father, I come before you today not with the words of wisdom as man speaks. But Lord, I pray that you would, and your power would fill me today and help me, Lord, to preach this message to this group of people and those watching online. Help it to be understandable. Help us, Lord, as we hear the words, work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Isaiah, the book, was written by a man named, you guessed it, Isaiah. He's the son of Amos. Uh, his name means salvation is of the Lord. He's writing this passage of scripture. We, we know that Isaiah comes later in the Bible, but time-wise, he would have been in the time frame of 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles. Isaiah was a contemporary of prophets like Hosea and Micah. So when you read the book of Micah, the last book of the Bible, recognize Hosea was around at the same time. When you read 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, portions of that, Isaiah would have been around at those times. By the time he begins his ministry, Elijah, Elisha, Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Amos, they've already completed their ministries. This would have been around 750 or so BC. Isaiah is preaching to the nation of Israel. 
The nation of Israel, though, at this particular time in Isaiah has been split into two parts. We know that David was the king. He was a, he was a, a man after God's own heart, but his kids did not follow after him like they should. And, and so his son caused a, a civil war. And so we know there was the northern region, the nation of Israel, and the southern region, which was called what? Judah. And so the nation of Israel, the northern portion, has already been taken over by the Assyrians as they are now taking over the world, the Assyrian Empire. And they've taken over uh, the northern region. They're coming after the city of Jerusalem. And Isaiah is writing to the the, the nation of Judah here, the, the kingdom of Judah, and he's encouraging them of some things. Keep in mind the group of people he's talking to. These are an oppressed people. These are people that are worried. These are people that are, uh, they see the Assyrians coming. They, they, there's, there's just things going on in this people's life that they can't handle. And yet they've chose to put up idols and worship other idols and reject God. And Isaiah's coming to them and he's offering them an invitation, several invitations. And aren't you glad that no matter where you are in your life, God continues to offer you invitations, invitations. Uh, My wife and I, we've we've invited people over to our house. And this this one particular person we invited over our house, I wouldn't say the person's name, but like several times they said they were going to come. And then the day before or the day of, they're like, oh, we can't come. It's like, okay. Then the second time it happened. Now, I don't know about you. I have four kids. The house isn't ready for company all the time. And so after the third time that happened, I'm like, that's it. No more invitation. If you drop by, we're eating outside. Amen. And so, but, but God always, he continues to offer that invitation. But the nation of Israel were, had an issue like we have. And all of us here have this issue. The issue is we trust too much in ourselves and in our own success and in our own money, our own wealth, or whatever it is. And so today, I just want to give you three simple thoughts today. Three things that money cannot do, money cannot buy, things that uh, success or wealth or whatever, whatever you want to put the label on there, only God can help you with, and, and, and you can't help yourself. So the first truth I see here is, number one, money cannot provide satisfaction. Money cannot provide satisfaction. He says here, Isaiah in verse one, ho, everyone that what? thirsteth and come to the waters that you uh, and ye that hath no money come buy and eat yea come buy wine without money without price and then he says wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which what satisfieth now there's a lot of things that we put time and effort into uh, that does not bring satisfaction Charles Spurgeon said this of the word ho. He said, ho, this is the gospel note, a short, significant appeal, urging you to be wise enough to attend your own interests. Oh, the condescension of God that he should, as it were, become a beggar to his own creature and to stoop to the, uh, stoop from the magnificence of his glory to cry, ho, to the foolish and ungrateful man. Oh, we're, sometimes we're so foolish. And ungrateful, and yet God continues to extend His invitation. I want to give share with you two invitations in this thought that money cannot provide satisfaction. Letter A is that an invitation to the thirsty, an invitation to the thirsty. How many of you like soda? Who likes soda? I brought with me today. Maybe I'll give it away to one of the kids who sitting up straight. Maybe if somebody takes notes and comes shows me their notes, the pastor will give you this ice cold. This was three dollars. 
at Chipotle the other day. But anyways, how many like soda? Anybody like soda? All right. I like soda. I grew up drinking soda. How many are Dr. Pepper fans? Where's the doc? Who, who likes 7-Up? Weirdos. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we, we like Coke is a wonderful you know, drink or whatever. Did you know that the first, uh, the first slogan for Coke, does anybody know what the first slogan that Coke ever had? It was in 1906. No? Here was their first slogan. The Great National Temperance Beverage. Right here. How many of you have ever played sports? Yeah? You're playing sports or you go for a hike and you're hot. And here, especially in the Central Valley, you might be hot and sweaty. And boy, it's just, you know, you come off the field. Maybe you play soccer or football or basketball. You come off the court, you come off the field, and you're drenched in sweat, and you're hot, and you're thirsty. And the first thing you do is you go to the ice chest, and your coach has a bunch of Cokes in there. No. No, you you don't drink Coca-Cola when you're thirsty. How many of you could drink a gallon of Coke and still want more Coke? Amen. It doesn't really satisfy. It, it actually causes you to be more thirsty. And so we don't drink. I know you're thinking, well, it's refreshing. Sure it is. And then you drink another one and then another one and then another one. But when you're very thirsty, you want what? You want water. That's what quenches that thirst. And I remember one time when I was a teenager, I went on a hike with some friends of mine. We were in Lake Havasu, Arizona. I've never been to Lake Havasu, Arizona. And you'll never go back there again. We were there. It was 115 degrees. We decided to go for a hike. So here we are, three teenagers. We're probably 17 years old. And we looked off in the distance. We saw this rock sticking out of the ground. It was called Finger Rock. We said, let's hike to that rock. And so like super smart hikers we were, we left at about 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and so we started hiking. And we hiked for a couple hours. Now it's 1 o'clock. We're, we, we don't have our shirts on at this point. We're, 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 we drank the, uh, the quarter of a gallon of water between the three of us for the entire hike. We're, we, we're not sweating anymore. We're, we're dying of thirst. How many of you ever been so thirsty that your tongue swells up and all that? I've been there. So here we are. We're hiking. It's two hours into the trip. And do you think that we stopped and turned around and went back? No, we didn't because we're teenage boys. We kept going. Four o'clock at night, we still we haven't got to the rock and it hit me. It, it took us that long to get here. We still got to go back. And so did we stop then? No, we didn't. We kept going because we're not quitters. And so we get to the top of this mountain. We have a good time there. And then we start back about six o'clock at night. Two hours later, we're very far away from home and it gets dark and we're in the desert. We don't have any flashlights. So we're walking through cactus, rattlesnakes, scorpions all around us. We're dying of thirst. And we, we see this ravine. It's in the middle of the night. The, the stars and the moon were out, so you could see a little bit. And we look down, and we see this a little bit of a dark spot in this rock. And we thought, that's water. So I start down the ravine. I stepped on a rock. It flipped. I rolled down the ravine. We get down there. Nobody else wanted to drink the water. But I'm like, I'm drinking this water. So I get down, and I'm slurping this stuff up, and there's chunks going into my mouth. And I'm drinking this water. I was so thirsty. The other guys didn't do it. One of the guys begged us to leave him in the desert overnight. <laughs> He's like, just leave me here. So I'm like dragging him. We ended up about two o'clock in the morning hitting a road and a police officer just happened to be driving by. We had hiked eight miles to the rock and then about 10 miles up the other direction. And it took us like about 20 minutes to get us back to our campsite. We went to a Burger King and we sat there for a couple hours and just drank and drank. Because why? Because we were what? Have you ever been that thirsty? May I just say that God invites the thirsty. He says, for those of you that are thirsty, have you ever been thirsty like that for Christ? 
Have you ever wanted him so bad that all you can think about is drinking uh, from that fountain of living water? Jesus says in John 7, 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Listen to me. It's not about a church. It's not about a pastor. It's not about a religion. It's about that living water. We have to have that water. I don't know about you, but I remember before I came to Christ, I wasn't a Christian, and I remember being very thirsty and trying to satisfy, satisfy myself with other things, but it wasn't until I took of that living water, as Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew who I was and you asked for me a drink, I would give you a drink that would never, you will never thirst again. I don't know if you've ever drank that drink. Well, I'm going to tell you something. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Oh, Jesus, God invites He invites the thirsty. Let me give you number two today. He invites the poor. He says, he that hath no money, he that hath no money, come ye. And all God's people said, amen to that. (laughs) We understand that there are rich people today that are poor. And there are poor people today that are rich. It's not about how much money we have in the bank. It's about our spirit. You see, the greatest needs that we have in our life, you you cannot meet with money. The need to be loved, the need to be wanted, the need for peace, security, the need to be satisfied, forgiven. These are all needs that we cannot purchase. You see, we're invited to Christ who meets all of those needs. What spiritual need did you come in the door with today? Perhaps you're experiencing rejection. Christ can meet that need. Perhaps today you're feeling the crippling sense of guilt and shame. No money can take away guilt or shame, but Christ can. Perhaps you came today with the overwhelming sense of sadness or brokenness. No amount of money can fix those things, but Christ can fix that. Are you looking for compassion? Are you carrying the pain of betrayal? Are you in doubt and fear and uh, afraid of failure, afraid of the future, afraid of death? All of these things money can't buy, but Christ can satiate. These emotions are debilitating, crippling. Some might go out and get a prescription to help with those emotions. Some might find relief at the bottom of a bottle and not a Coke bottle. Some might jump from church to church looking for a message series that will help them with their needs. Some might swing from one extreme to the other trying to find some kind of relief from this constant thirst, some kind of relief from their poor spirit. But, oh, soul, today, may I just say to you that Jesus says compassionately in Matthew chapter number 11, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you... Listen, it's a lot of work running from the Lord. He says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am meek and of lowly heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The world looks at the church and says, what a bunch of weirdos. And we look at the world and say, if you only knew... If you only knew how easy his yoke was, you would drop the yoke of drugs. You would drop the yoke of alcohol. You would drop the yoke of those relationships that don't help. You would drop the yoke of money. You would drop the yoke of all those things that do not satisfy. If you came to Christ, the invitation is open and money cannot provide satisfaction. Jesus is the answer. I said, Jesus is the answer. At least the kid's saying amen today. I said, Jesus is the answer. He's the living water. I said, he's the living water. He's the bread of life. Oh, stop trying to satiate yourself with all this other stuff and come to Christ. We see money cannot provide satisfaction. Number two, money cannot provide, excuse me, money cannot pardon the soul. 
It cannot pardon the soul. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 55. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah is telling the children of Israel, you better repent. Now's the time. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him what, church? Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. At the height of a political corruption trial, a prosecuting attorney attacked the witness. He said, isn't it true, he bellowed, that you accepted a $100,000 bribe to compromise this case? And the witness just looked out the window like he didn't say anything. And the lawyer looked around and said it again. He said, isn't it true that you accepted $100,000 to compromise this case? And the witness did not respond. He just kept staring out the window. Finally, the judge leaned over and said to the witness, he said, sir, would you please answer the question? To which the witness replied, oh, I'm sorry, I thought he was talking to you. <laughs> we all understand today that in our court case of life, there is no bribery to get to heaven. There will be no corruption at the great white throne judgment. Money cannot pardon your soul. Religions have tried to teach that. I said religions have tried to teach that. Money cannot pardon your soul. Let me give you letter A. We see God gives another invitation, an invitation to repent. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God is not obligated to give anyone multiple chances. So I say to you today, God is not obligated. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you are far from God, if you've gotten away from the Lord, God is not obligated to give you two, three, four chances. He is near right now. He's not obligated to that. Yes, he's merciful, and yes, he's long-suffering, and he loves us, and I thank God for his love and his mercy. If it wasn't for his love and his mercy, I wouldn't be standing here today, and neither would you be sitting here today. But how many messages do we have to hear before we repent? Jesus is right here, right now, extending his invitation to you. I see an invitation to repent. James chapter number 4, verse 14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Oh, friend, look up here, please. Friend, you're not promised tomorrow. Teenagers, you're not promised tomorrow. Young people, come to Christ. The invitation is for today. I see an invitation to repent. I see an invitation, letter B, to return. He says, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. I, sometimes I talk to people about becoming a Christian, and they, they want to become a Christian. They want to come to Christ, but they look at their life, and they say, but I can't. I can't because of all these things. Look at all these things. I, I do this, and I do that. And we look at these things like they're an obstacle to come to Christ, when the truth is, these things are the reason why we come to Christ. Amen. Jesus died on the cross for our what? He didn't die because I'm righteous. I don't get to go to heaven because of my works. Maybe this is a thought that you've never thought about before, but what is, the, what is the one thing that separates somebody who believes in the Word of God and somebody who believes in something else? In other words, what separates what I believe from all other religions in the world? What separates me from the Buddhists? What separates me from Hinduism? What separates us from Islam? What separates us from other even cults or even religions that are close to ours but, but don't believe exactly what the Bible says? What is the main thing? I'll give you two words. God's grace. 
Ephesians chapter number 2, verse 8 and 9 says it best. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace, God's grace. And while religions and people are cutting themselves and lighting incense and going to the temple and praying up steps and, and praying around the beads on their necklace, all to get to go to heaven, God says, for by grace are you saved. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. We cannot pay for it. God gives it freely. In the context of Isaiah, he's talking to the nation of Israel. These are people that have set up idols and these are people that have turned their back on God. And God says, if you will come back to me, I will abundantly pardon you. That was grace. And God offers the same kind of grace to us. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. What kind of grace does he offer us? Look at Romans chapter number 3. Paul starts off in the chapter talking about the nation of Israel and the Gentile. And he's comparing the two. Look at where he, what he says in verse 9. He says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are what? All under, we're all sinners. As it is written, there's none righteous. The Jewish person, the Gentile, the, the Buddhist, the, uh, the Jehovah Witness, the Baptist, the, uh, the Catholic, the, uh, the guy who says he's an agnostic, the, the atheist, they're all under sin. The Bible says we're all sinners. We're all sinners. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way and become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Skip down to verse 23. For all have what? Sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, God's grace is free, unearned, undeserved. Money cannot pardon your soul. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot pay your way to heaven. I cannot give enough money in the offering plate. I cannot give enough time to earn my way to heaven. For by grace are you saved. What is religion? Is it not man doing his best to earn favor of God? You see, we're not saved. We don't get to go to heaven. We don't have a relationship with Christ because of a religion. But because of grace, it's free. So today, whether it's a repentance for your sin to come to Christ, or whether it's a return, you already know Christ and you're far away from Him. Either way, it's grace and it's free. And I say hallelujah to that. Amen. Money cannot provide satisfaction. Money cannot pardon the soul. And then lastly today, look at number three. Money, ultimately, money cannot prosper our situation. Remember I said some people are rich and yet they're poor? We sometimes we marvel when we see an actor who lives in a 30,000 square foot house, has five cars in the driveway, has millions of dollars in the bank and commits suicide. We look at that and we think, how could they do that? Because ultimately money is not the answer. Look at what Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 says. And this is where the, the message comes together with you can't handle this because things happen in our life that we don't always understand. Look at verse 8. God says, for my thoughts are what? They're not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Has God ever allowed something to happen in your life and you look to the sky and you thought, God, that doesn't make any sense to me? Of course, because his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And we think sometimes falsely that we have so much control over our lives. We don't have any control. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Great Depression was one of the most difficult times for America in American history. If you've read about it, you'd learn that 
Much of it was caused by the stock market crash, 1929. Americans have always had a history of trusting in the economy, trusting in our wealth. In the 1920s, it was called the Roaring Twenties. Why? Because of explosive economic growth. People were buying homes and moving out west, and and industry was booming, and this Roaring Twenties was so so, uh, amazing, and, and jobs were so plentiful. Banks were popping up around towns, as many as four or five in a day. People were making money and they were excited about the, the economy. And so they were rushing to the banks and they were borrowing money to buy stock in the stock market. In 1929, four out of every $10 in the stock market was borrowed money. And so on September the 3rd, 1929, the Dow Jones Industrial peaked at $381, or three, uh, 381.17 points. But by November, two months later, it had plunged almost by 50%. In two months, 50%. Millions and billions of dollars were lost. People lost their homes. They made rushes on the bank to try to get cash. Banks did not have any cash. And they would stand in line for hours and hours to get a piece of bread or have food or whatever. In one day, the stock market crashed nearly 16%. That was Black Thursday. 16%. People lost everything in a matter of months. It was gone. You see, we, we look at our lives sometimes and we look at the prosperity that we see around us and thank God for the prosperity he's given us. I said, thank God. Thank God that we all have cars and we have homes and thank God for those things. Well, may we understand that those things, that all those things that we have have nothing to do with genuine prosperity. Only true prosperity comes from the Lord. Proverbs 23, 5 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches, if you have kids, you know this verse. For riches certainly make themselves wings and fly away as eagles toward heaven. You see, money is not the answer. I said money is not the answer. Some people, well, if I just had a better job or if I just worked more hours. Or, and listen, I think you ought to work hard and I think you ought to try better. That's, that's not the message. The point is today that my thoughts, God, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. God's prosperity is calculated on a completely different level than ours. And so we come to him sometimes with a package that we can't handle. Not everything. Uh, I I said this morning on accident, I said to somebody that life is good all the time. Then I walked away from that conversation. I thought, that's not what I meant. What I meant was God is good all the time. How many understand the mistake? Life is not good all the time. There are things that happen in life. And sometimes we come to God and we say, God, Here's this thing I can't handle. And, and sometimes it's a package we sent to ourselves. How many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's a package that just shows up. We did nothing to deserve it necessarily, but it just shows up there. And so there's two more invitations I want to give you today. And I, w- I really hope that it's an encouragement. Letter A, I want to show you the invitation to trust him. An invitation to trust him. May we recognize that as God's thoughts are not our thoughts and our ways are not his ways, God is inviting us to trust him in that. I have a 14-year-old and he's doing algebra. Actually, algebra two, I think. How many would rather have a lobotomy than go through algebra again? And uh, it was, we're sitting there at the kitchen table, mom's cooking dinner, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to help him with it. Now, I'm not a math whiz. Uh, so, well, thank the Lord I had the answer key there. And so I was acting all smart as he's, I'm like, oh, that's not right. No. Yeah, no, that's not right. You know? And so I had the answer key and he's, you know, trying to do his work. And we're getting through this algebra two together. And uh, there came a point in time 
Now, I told you that my son is 14. How many know that 14-year-olds start realizing their parents make mistakes? And so it came to this point in time where he's doing this problem. And I said, okay, what's the answer, son? And he said something like X equals eight plus five or something like that. He didn't say the answer. He said the formula almost. He said eight X equals eight. And I'm looking, I'm not really paying attention. I can smell the food cooking. I'm done with algebra. And so I'm, I, I, look, I glanced down at the answer key and I looked at the answer and the answer was 13. It wasn't X or X equals 13. It wasn't X equals eight plus five. I just wasn't paying attention. And so I said, that's not right, son. And he goes, he looks at me like, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. And he goes, it's X equals eight plus five. I said, no, son, it's not. And so, and I'm getting angry. And I'm like, son, listen to me. I know you're hungry, but look at me in the eyes, boy. It's not the answer. And then I realized, and my wife, actually, I didn't realize. My wife realized, listening. And she goes, honey, is it, is it 13? I look at the paper. I'm like, oh, yeah, it is 13. And my son looked at me like, I can't believe you didn't get the answer right. And then now every time I help him with his homework, if I'm like, son, that answer's not right, he's like, are you sure? <laughs> because I make mistakes. I said, I make mistakes. I want to tell you something. God never gets the answer wrong. Amen. And sometimes something happens and it doesn't, the equation doesn't quite work out in our minds. We think, God, this doesn't add up. And God looks at us and says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. God never gets the answer wrong. May we not question it, even though we do. God doesn't plan like we do. God doesn't work like we do. Can you see the comfort that God offers here by inviting us to trust him? I don't know about you, but there have been things I've been through, and I know things that you've been through that I just have to trust the Lord. He invites us to trust him. And then lastly today, letter B, he invites us to try him. Look at verse 10. This is so comforting, and I'm almost done. Verse 10, for as the rain cometh down, the snow from the heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be as it goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And notice what it says next. And it shall what? Prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. See, God is inviting us to trust in his word and to try him. In verse 1 and 2, God invites, through Isaiah the prophet, he invites the nation of Israel to repent and return. Does he not? He says, repent and return unto me, and I will have abundant mercy. In our context today, God still is inviting us. Matthew chapter number 11, verse 28, come unto me, all ye that labor. God is still inviting us to repent and come to him. If we don't know Christ, to repent and come to him. If we've gotten away from Christ, to repent and come to him. If we follow steps 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, then we get 12 and 13. Look at verse 12. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with what? Peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and the trees and the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, come up the fig tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be the Lord to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. See, what God is saying here is saying, have faith in me and come to me. We come to church sometimes and in our life sometimes we come before God and be like, God, I can't handle this or God, I don't want to do this. And God says, listen, just have faith and come to me. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so he's asking us today to come to him and to try him. 
Christ invites you today to trust him. He invites you today to try him. And if we do, we will find joy. We will find peace. We will find blessings. And by the way, those are all things that money can't buy. So today, as we wrap up this message, money cannot provide satisfaction. So stop trying to put it all down. Stop trying to, stop trying to satisfy your life. Only Christ can do that. Money cannot pardon the soul. Again, you cannot earn your way to heaven, only through Christ. And money cannot really prosper our situation. But if we trust him and we try him, Christ certainly can. Every head bowed and every eye closed.